Hello, hello. It's good to see you. Um, if you're new to River West Church, what we do is we open God's word every week when we gather. And so if you need a Bible, I'm going to invite the ushers down. Um, uh, if you need a Bible, just throw a hand up in the air. We've been in the series in 1 John. We're in chapter 4 tonight. And so our scripture reading, the passage we'll be diving into together is, is um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Let me read this to you tonight. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is God's word. The way that ends, the way that text ends with that phrase, the spirit of error, some of your translations might say the spirit of deception. It's hard to not read that passage of scripture and, and not think of this idea of deception. And no one wants to be deceived, right? There, I, don't, I haven't met a person who's like, I'm actually looking to be deceived, that word deception, which is it really, I think, at the heart of this passage is, is a loaded word because every single one of us has been deceived. There's all kinds of deception. There's relational deception. There's uh, political deception. Did you know that? There's, uh, there's financial deception. There's fake news. There's... Um, there's deception in sports. I love sports, but there's a lot of deception in sports. My favorite sport is baseball. And in baseball, when somebody, when a player goes from mediocrity to, to greatness, what is always assumed? Steroids. Deception. And we live our lives with this kind of this distrust. Can we, can we actually trust anything? And so we build and order our lives around this desire to not be deceived. There's deception in business, and so what do we do? We draft up and we write contracts to protect us. We write a contract, so we say, if you, do, if you hold up to your end of the bargain, then I will. But if you don't, if you deceive me, I've got a way out. There's so many stories of deception in marriage, and so we draft prenups. I can't even use the word prenup and not think of Kanye. Anybody with me? No? No? Okay. So um, one, of, one of my greatest deceptions is I accidentally bought a car one time. This is a true story. I was 21 and I accidentally bought a car. The car that I had driven for, I feel like maybe I've told this story. Um, I didn't tell any of my friends this story for like five years, but you guys, you get it. But so I'm 21. The car that I've been driving for a couple years finally broke down. 
and I needed to go get a new car, and I went just to, to look at cars, and I had no idea what I was doing. I ended up at the Saturn dealership. I don't know why. This isn't a, a, like, a, like a burn on Saturn, but I ended up at the Saturn dealership, and I test drove a car, and the, and the, the car salesman was like, well, let's just come in the office, and we'll just talk about the car, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, so yeah, let's talk about the car. 30 minutes later, I was like, I think I just bought this car. I actually own this car, and I was, I don't want to own this car, and I was freaking out. I called mom, you know, <clears throat> mom's here. I called mom, she fixed it, <laughs> this is a true story, and, uh, and uh, I, like I said, I didn't tell any of my friends, like my roommates, for years, and, and, and eventually I was like, I bought a car one time, and none of you knew, and, uh, and I felt deceived, or I mean, maybe that's not the best example of deception because it's more like just like raw idiocy. But um, I share that story because that word deception, I mean, it's so loaded, right? Like even just using that word and and some of the examples of relational deception or um, maybe they bring up uh, memories for you and, and that word deceived is just, it's so loaded. The New Testament, it, it, the New Testament is, throughout the entirety of it, it's the New Testament writers are talking about deception, but they're talking about a certain kind of deception that we're not always aware of, a certain type of deception that we're not always concerned about, and that deception is spiritual deception, or what John calls here the spirit of deception. Now that word spirit in the text that we just read, it comes up no less than eight times in this passage. So what you'll see is the, the capital S spirit, which is in fact the Holy Spirit, but there's also the lowercase s spirit that's present in this passage. And, and it leads us to wonder, what actually is that? What is that spirit? To understand what that is, we should turn back just a few verses. At the end of chapter 3, Um, This is what John says at the end of chapter 3 that leads into the passage that we just read. He says, in verse 23, he says, And this is his commandment, this is God's commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. The very next words in 1 John chapter 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. John says the, the reason that we know we're in relationship with God is by the Holy Spirit. And the very next thing he says, but don't believe every spirit. The, the Holy Spirit, which is, which is mentioned in this passage, is, this, is what we, this is what we know about it. This is not exhaustive, but the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. It's the the third member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Part of what the Holy Spirit's role is, is to testify to, to honor, and to magnify Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit regenerates the believer. It gives the believer a new heart and a new desire. The Holy Spirit, we've talked about this a lot in um, in this series, the Holy Spirit assures the believer that they are in Christ, that they are born of God. 
And then we can see so much more about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives to, to help us and empower us and enable us to live, to follow, to love, and to think like Jesus. But what are the spirits, the lowercase spirits? John says, you've got the Holy Spirit, but don't believe every spirit. Now, this word spirit, it could mean a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of different possible meanings, but, but tonight I'm just going to tell you what is I've studied throughout this week. What, this is what I believe John means when he says spirits. And it's this. Spirits are activating impulses in a human person that manifest in thinking and behavior. I'll put it to you this way. The human spirit... This is according to the New Testament, according to the scriptures, the entirety of the scriptures. The, the human spirit is motivated and energized by impulses that either come from God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, or from the diabolical spirit of deception. In other words, they either come from God or they come from the deceiver, Satan these impulses. And John is saying this. I believe this is what he's saying. He says, I want you to be aware of whether <clears throat> certain doctrines, and by doctrines I mean certain ways of thinking, in particular about God, or certain behaviors, um, or more specifically, certain ways of living that are cropping up within this community, this actual group of people that follow Jesus that John is writing to. He says, I want you to be aware when these ways of thinking or living come up in the community. I want you to be able to tell, I want you to be aware of whether or not these come from God. And so John, um, what he does is he gives his, these, these people that he knows and loves and that trust him, he gives them what's called an imperative. He gives them a command. He says, test it. He says, you need to test the spirits. Behind every teacher, or as, as they're called in, in, in 1 John and through a lot of the New Testament, behind um, these prophets, there's a spirit. And John says, you need to test the spirit. You need to figure out, does this spirit, does this behavior, this ideology, this belief, does it actually reflect God's character, his heart, and his ways? Truly, there's, there's a lot of spiritual stuff out there. There's a lot of spiritual ideas out there. A few weeks ago, Pastor Guy was teaching out of chapter two, and he, and he so we, we've already talked about the false prophets, that it describes the false prophets as, as teachers who have gone out from the community. They've left this church, they've left the Christian community, and what they're doing is they're deceiving people by pulling them out of the community to join them in this type of thinking, this type of living, this spirit that is contrary to what God has revealed about himself and his ways. So John says to them, he says, I don't want you to be pulled into deception. I don't want you to be pulled into the counterfeit. He says, I want you to experience spiritual reality, as God says. So in verse 2, and we'll look at that real quick. In verse 2, he says, by this you know the spirit of God. And what he's, what, what he's doing when he says that is, is he's letting us know that this, this whole, the point of, of, of what he's saying to this group of people is not simply the avoidance of deception, but what he wants them to do is to know the spirit 
of God. How do you fight deception? You fight it with knowledge. How do you combat deception? It's actually through knowledge. And it's not just information. It's not just data or things about God. This passage is about knowing God. This passage is about knowing God's voice and God's ways. The New Testament writers are are incredibly concerned that we would actually know the voice of God and the ways of God. Where'd they get this? They got it from Jesus, who wasn't it he who said, my sheep know my voice. So what, what happens in this passage is that John says, here's a test for you. When something comes up, when a way of thinking or an ideology or behavior comes up amongst you, here is the test for how you will know. Does this come from God's spirit or a different spirit? And this is it in verse 2. It says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, wait for it, not from God. That's all you need. Good night. There's, there's hamburgers. We're ready to go, right? I mean, when I read that, I remember reading that this week and feeling like I was hoping for a more detailed plan of attack. You know what I mean? Like maybe a little bit more of a game plan of how, like, because I don't want to be deceived. And I know that you probably don't want to be deceived either. And I'm looking for something perhaps a little bit more down to earth or something perhaps a little more, um, something that we can grab a hold of. But what I think we should do tonight is I think we should sit in the words of John, these words that he just said to us about the test. Um, the reason I think we should sit in these words from John is one, it's, this, is, this is the scriptures, but we're learning from a man who, who walked with Jesus side by side. We're, we're learning from a man, John, who was led by the Holy Spirit to write this. Um, John, I think he, one of the unique things about John um, the disciple who would become um, the Apostle John is that he, he lived a really long life, which was not the case with most of the apostles. John lived a long life. He perhaps wrote this in his 80s. In, in the very end of a long life, he writes these words. And, and I think what, what's important about that is John's had many, many years to reflect. What does it actually mean to, to, to live like Jesus and love like Jesus? What does it mean to think like Jesus? This, isn't, this is a mature person. And he says, so here's the test that you're going to have. Here's how you're going to know. And he starts this by saying in verse 2, he says, every spirit that confesses. Some translators, instead of the word confess, they use the word acknowledge. The Bible you might be reading might say acknowledge, but it's it's, I almost feel like neither of those words quite capture what John is saying. I love the way uh, one of the preachers said, he says this, he says, to confess something is to say, you can live on this principle. This isn't just an idea. He says, you can live on this. You can take this to the bank. You can bet your life on this. John says, you need to confess this. And he says, here's the test. Jesus Christ come in the flesh. 
I love John Stott, one of my favorite Bible teachers, said uh, a possible different way to translate this is Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. That's the test. Is this way of thinking or this way of living, is it true? Is it from God? And he says, does it actually say this is the truest reality centered in on Jesus? It starts, um, the first word we see is Jesus, which is actually a name. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph the carpenter. Jesus was a real person. Did you know that? He had a real family. Jesus was a real human being. He had a real body. He had real emotions, thoughts, feelings. Jesus experienced life as an infant, a toddler, a teenager, a young adult, and everything that comes with that. And Jesus wasn't sort of a person, but he was actually a person. And this for John, for some reason, for John, this was of the utmost importance. Do you remember how John started the letter? If you've been with us for a while in chapter one, he starts talking about Jesus and he says, this Jesus, we've seen him with our eyes. We've touched him with our hands. We've walked with him. We've eaten with him. We've drank with him. We've been with this Jesus, a real person. Most likely the false prophets that are mentioned in this chapter and also in chapter two, most likely the false prophets who had, who had left the community of faith were saying something on the, along the lines of Jesus wasn't actually a real person. They were probably saying something along the lines of Jesus was divine and, and posing as a person. It's almost like Superman, you know what I mean? It's not really Clark Kent, he's whatever. It's Jesus is... is Jesus fooled you into thinking that he was a human. And this, is, this was actually a heresy that was coming up in the, in the first century church. And, and John goes out of his way to say that type of thinking is poison and it's deceptive. He says, watch out for that spirit. He says, that spirit is the spirit of the antichrist. So this denial of the personhood of Jesus... Um, it sounded in that time, it sounded spiritual. It sounded like an incredibly spiritual thing to say, well, he's, he wasn't really a person, but according to John, it's deceptive. There's a few reasons why. If Jesus wasn't actually a person, then he wasn't truly the substitute for our sins. This is a, this is a, this is a, a belief that all of the New Testament writers affirmed that Jesus was a substitute for our sins because he was actually a person. If he isn't, as, as the book of Hebrews say, a high priest who was like us but without sin, then, then he, we, can't, um, we, can't, we can't become like him. If he's not actually like us, then his teachings, then his way, then the then the the kind of life that he calls his followers into is actually impossible. Jesus had to be an actual person. John's saying that spirit is deception if it, if it denies Jesus' personhood. But then he goes on because he doesn't just refer to him as Jesus. He refers to him as Jesus the Christ. Now, contrary to popular belief, and I know you know this, Christ is not a last name, right? It wasn't like Mary Christ, Joseph Christ, Jesus Christ. 
Christ is actually a title, which could also be translated as Messiah or chosen one. The one who would save the world from their sins, the deliverer. The Messiah was promised from even the beginning of the scriptures. In Genesis 3.15, we have the story of, of, of the fall of, of human beings, of Adam and Eve, who were deceived by the serpent. And God shows up after that, and he promises to send a Messiah to come that would stomp and crush the head of the serpent. John's saying that promise from all the way back then is actually revealed in this person, Jesus, who actually is the Christ. An amazing um, declaration that this is the reality of Christ. This is the reality of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's this amazing story of, of of Jesus is he's, he's interacting with people and Jesus is becoming popular and people are starting to ask questions and to speculate and, and to make um, speculations of who Jesus actually was. And, and Jesus knows about this. Some people think that he's Elijah. Some think, people think that he's Moses. Some people think that he's a prophet. Some people think that he's a military leader who's going to overthrow Rome. But Jesus looks at his disciples, the people that are closest to them, the people that have walked with him the longest, and he says, but who do you say that I am. And Peter, who's always so eager, who always is, you know, ready to answer the question, Peter says this, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So what he's talking about is the divinity of Jesus. The second member of the Trinity, the the son has come in the flesh. And this um, doctrinally or this theology is called the incarnation. Now, throughout church history, when, when the church um, or when churches or teachers have gone astray, when they've walked away, and a lot of the times we use this word heresy, when the church has got it wrong about God, it's almost always related to the identity of Jesus. It's almost always related to who Jesus was. This is, uh, this is from um, a book called Doctrine. One of my professors at, at Western Seminary um, co-authored this, and, and he says this. He says, there are two general ways in which various thinking has erred regarding the humanity and divinity of Jesus. The first is to deny the full divinity of Jesus in favor of his humanity. The second is to deny the full humanity of Jesus in favor of his divinity. Now I'm going to read a bunch of words that I'll probably get wrong. The denial of the full divinity of Jesus has been done by heretics such as the Ebionites, the Socinians, the Servetusites, the Nestorians, the Modalists, the Monarchianists, the Sabellianists, the Unitarians, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, or the more recently popular book and film, The Da Vinci Code, the Dan Brownians. I don't, know, what do, I don't even know what we call that. Every heresy, every false teaching that has come up in the church is almost always related to the identity of Jesus. It's almost always related to getting this wrong about Jesus. Now, if you didn't recognize any of those words that I just read, 
which let's be honest, I didn't either. Um, Here's the Apostle Paul. Here's him talking to the first century church, a church in Corinth in chapter 11, starting in verse three. I want you to listen to some of the, for some of the words and some of the themes that come from first John as well. But in 11.3, Paul says this. He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, so there's deception, there's the serpent. He says, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Listen to this. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, Or if you receive a different spirit, there's that word. If you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Paul is concerned, like John is concerned. He says, I'm concerned. Did you see some of those words that came up? He says, I'm I'm concerned that you might go after a different Jesus. A different Jesus than what the apostles testified to. He says, I'm I'm concerned that you might go after a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. And finally he says, I'm concerned that you would go after a different gospel than the good news of Jesus Christ. See, at the the heart of of the New Testament writings is, is, what do you believe about Jesus? And for John, he says, we have to understand the incarnation, which, which might sound to some of you like a big, scary theology word. But incarnation, the, the doctrine of the incarnation is actually about knowing God. John's not just so concerned that we would actually just get it right, that we would just get our thinking right, that we'd get our data right about God. He actually wants to be sure that, that we know God, that we know his ways and his character. It's not about scoring spiritual points with God. It's not about everybody needs to drop what they're doing and go to seminary and read theology books. The, this doctrine, which is so important to John, is really about knowing God. A woman named Karen Jobes, who, who wrote this amazing commentary on, on, on 1 John, said this. She said, John emphasizes the necessity of recognition or confession of the incarnation of Jesus Christ for true knowledge of God because the word became flesh specifically to reveal the otherwise invisible God. The word became flesh to reveal the otherwise invisible God. Well, the way one other person said it, he says, Jesus Christ is God's ultimate self-disclosure. I like that. You should write that down. Jesus Christ is God's ultimate self-disclosure. Jesus is key to any true knowledge, whether it's knowledge about God and knowledge about God's ways. Jesus Christ is key to it. Contrary to popular belief, we're not actually able to think our way to God. In our world, people are often saying, I've got new insight about God. I've got some new thoughts about God. I've got some new ways to talk about God and to follow God and to know God. But Christian teaching is not that we can think our way to God, 
but actually that God has come to us and revealed himself to us in Jesus the Christ. Jesus is at the center of everything. In Jesus, God says, this is who I actually am. This is what I'm like. God is saying, do you want to know me? Here's my son. Learn from him. Follow him. Confess him or build your life on him. So this is about not just right ideas, but about true knowledge and relationship. And truly what we should do, truly the way that we should live our lives is to take any thought and any teaching and any lifestyle behavior and put it under the microscope. John says, something comes up, test it. Does the spirit of this confess? Does it build itself on the reality of Jesus, the Christ who has come in the flesh? He says, that's the test. That's how you know if this is from God if this is from the Holy Spirit or if this is from another spirit. Which I'm guessing is probably still a little bit vague, isn't it? It's kind of like up here, we're thinking about lofty things tonight and what's going to actually help us to do this? What's going to help us to to stay centered on Jesus? What's going to lead us away from deception? And so what I want to do, because I, I know you like points, I know you like principles, because your pastor's Adam McMurray and he taught you to love them. And um, so I want to give you two things that I think you can hold on to tonight. Here it is. Stay connected to God's people and stay connected to God's word. This, I believe, is actually seen in these last three verses. Verses four to six of... 1 John chapter 4. John says this. This is how he ends our passage. He says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. And therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What I want you to do tonight is I want to draw your attention to three words in those three verses. The words are you, they, and we. We'll start with you. Who is you? You is you. When, when, when John is writing this, he isn't just saying, hey, you and and just calling out an individual. He's saying, you all. How do they say it in Texas? He's talking to a community of people. He's not talking to isolated individuals. He's saying, you all. And if if you take it that way, he's saying, little children, you all are from God. And you all have overcome them. For he who is in you all is greater than he who is in the world. Perhaps the number one way to be deceived is to be disconnected. To go out on your own. 
to disconnect yourself from a community of faith. And I know what you're thinking. Here's the pastor again telling us to go to church. We're already here on a holiday weekend. Get off our backs. But seriously, I don't think it's a mistake that, that, that John speaks to a community of people and what is he saying to them? I mean, what is the message of this, of this book, 1 John? He's, he's telling people how to follow Jesus, but how to also to love each other. So he's saying, if you want to avoid spiritual deception, you've got to stay connected to people. How do you do that? Join a community group. Start a community group. Join the River Bible Study. Get in the lives of other people and, and learn from each other. Stay connected to God's people. But then there's also they. Who is they? Or that, I don't know if that was a sentence. Who are they? <laughs> In verse 5, these are, these are the false prophets. He says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. These are the teachers who are presenting spiritual reality as something other than Jesus Christ come in the flesh. John says they're speaking the language of the world and the world listens to them. The world just eats it up. You all have overcome them. So let's move past them. That's the they. Who's the we? This is the part where I really want you to focus. Who is we? In verse 6, this is what John says. He says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. This is a bit of a complicated verse, but I'm going to suggest a couple things. The we in this verse is actually the apostles. John is identifying himself with the group of men that Jesus commissioned as his disciples, as, the, as, his, as his people, as his closest disciples, he commissions them to go out into the world to preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to build the church. Most scholars would, would just agree that certainly John is identifying himself with these apostles in this passage. So what is, he, what, is, what is he doing by that? Why is he identifying with them? Well, this group of people does not have this in this form in their hands. And so the way that the, the, the first century church was built, it was built upon the apostles' teaching, the apostles' testimony, the apostles' witness to who Jesus actually was. John describes himself as an apostle with a capital A. And he says, there's a group of us who are called and commissioned by Jesus to form the church. And there's a lot of ideas about Jesus out there, but we want you to trust us. Why? Because we've seen Jesus. We've walked with him. We saw his death. We saw his resurrection. We saw his ascension. John is saying, you can trust the testimony of the apostles. And in doing that, to this group of people, he says, when you, when you trust this message, this truth, you become a part of the community of Christ. Now, we don't have capital A apostles in our day and age, but we have their testimony. 
We have their witness. We have their teachings. And it's this. It's the scriptures. So what I think is happening, what I think John is doing is he's, he's saying to a community of people, I want you to be a people who are connected to each other and that are following Jesus, but not just any Jesus, the true Jesus. And while this is, this is a, a message that was written many, many years ago, I think it's the same word to us. What kind of community are we trying to, to form? We're trying to, to form and live as the community of Jesus, but we want to know Jesus as he actually is. And so each week we come and we gather and we open the scriptures. And we gather throughout the week in, in community groups or in community in general. And we say we want to we learn and, and, and live and, and love like Jesus does. And we recognize that we can't do that our own. We recognize that, that when we are disconnected from each other, we're prone to wander. Another way of, dis, of translating that very last word, the spirit of error, another way of translating it is the spirit of wandering. And we know that we're prone to do that. And God knows that we're prone to do that. And so he gave us his people. And he gave us his word so that we could follow his son, Jesus, who's everything. And tonight we'll come to the table. What an amazing, what an amazing picture of Jesus. At the table, we come and we, we see the humanity of Jesus. The table is described as the body of Jesus, a real body that was broken for us. It, re- it reminds us of the blood of Jesus which was spilled for us. And yet it reminds us that Jesus is able as the Christ to do something that we could never do for ourselves. He didn't just die. He was a substitute for our sins. And he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. And communion confesses and testifies to this, that Jesus is the Christ. And so we do it every week. We come to the table. We remind ourselves there's a lot of spiritual junk out there. But there's something we can hold on to. There's something that we can confess to, and that's that Jesus is the Christ. And John said, If you want to live a life that experiences the reality of knowing true knowledge of God, hold on to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've shown us. We thank you that we don't have to wander. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit is, is, is guiding and leading us increasingly closer to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. We want to worship Jesus as a community. 
We want to lift high his name in this place and in our lives. And we want to become like him. Truly, we are, we're his disciples. And so what that means is we're following him where he leads us in this world. I pray, Lord, that our, our belief that what we know about you through Christ, that our belief that that is actually the true reality would not lead us to be prideful or arrogant. It would lead us to great humility, to deeper trust, to an increased longing that the world would see things as they actually are and that the world would come to know Jesus Christ. So Lord, may our worship, Lord, as, as we sing, as we come to the table, may it magnify and lift up Jesus Christ, Lord, and may it prepare us to be sent out into the world to love and follow him, to serve, to obey. And God, would you continue to form us as a community together. In Jesus' name, amen.